Welcome into this week's edition of AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent number one podcast dedicated to telling the stories and reliving the memories of the American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs. That is my Twitter handle, at CMTubbs. I am on Twitter. I've got two other gentlemen. One of them is also on Twitter. One of them is uh, not, but he's, you know, some people have called him a twit. I don't think Twitter. But you're, uh, you're off by one letter, but go ahead. That well, that's what letter am I off on? You know what? Never mind. <laughs> the I. Oh, oh, oh! Ding, 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 ding. You know yeah, what? I'll okay. Sit here while you guys take your shots at me, and you know. All right. Shots? Ahead. Nobody's taking shots at you. No, go I ahead. Didn't say, I didn't well, say. He said it. How did you know what I had in my cup? I cheers. Should have figured that. Most of you. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to this week's edition, uh, folks. Glad to have you along with us. This is AWA Unleashed. We do a, a podcast. We do a video stream. We like to sit here, have fun, and talk about the AWA. Last week, we talked about the villains, the heels, you know, rule breakers, whatever you want to call them. Today, we're going to flip it, and we're going to get input from you guys about the top baby faces, the good guys, the, you know, the fan favorites, however they were, you know, kind of explored, you know, however they were explained to you when you were a kid. First of all, let's take care of some business. Uh, you see 7th Avenue Pizza. You see that logo up there. If you're looking for pizza, ain't no better pizza on the market than 7th Avenue Pizza. All around the Twin Cities metro, it's even in outstate Minnesota. If for some reason you're not in the upper Midwest and you have a hard time finding it, you really want to check it out, uh, go to 7thAvenuePizza.com or hit me up on YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and we'll see if we can get you hooked up. Also, uh, want to thank Soda Stick as well. You guys, it is getting, uh, it's t-shirt weather. I believe they, uh, I believe they would call this a hot boy summer is what the kids are calling it. B -O boy is spelled B-O-I, by the way, hot boy summer. But you can you can look good. You can look hot. You can look like a hot boy in your AWA Unleashed T-shirt. You want to rep the swag, represent the AWA Unleashed Army. That's a gimmick I'm giving it. I don't know why. That's just what I came up with. That's my idea. That's what I'm saying. Um, it's either that or we talk about Joe's nipples. That's why I figured I'd get the sponsorships out of the way. Uh, unleashed for 15% off. So there we go. Are we good, guys? Any? Did I miss anything? No, no. no you, you guys okay with that? Yeah, they're, they're good. Say hello to Bert and Ernie for us. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to talk about baby faces. Good guys. And I don't know if there really is, kind of like last week, guys, I don't know if there really is a clear definition of a baby face anymore. But I want to ask you guys, before we get to the listener top 10, I want to get your guys' thoughts. What would you define a baby face as? Uh, I'm going to start with you, Joe. Well, in the old school days, uh, baby face was uh, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet, All-American. Uh, a very distinct difference between good versus evil. 
um, the Vern Gagne's of the world, um, the, the, the Luthezes of the world, uh, Bruno Sammartino's. And today, it's just, well, like we said with the heels last week, it's just blurred. <laughs> it just truly is, mm-hmm. is blurred. It's a, uh, a different dynamic than what was during the AWA days. Um, and not saying that that's better or worse. That's just the evolution of professional wrestling. Yeah, I don't know if it's the evolution or the, you know, or if it's devolved or not. Uh, a baby face back in the day followed the rules unless he was provoked. Uh, you know, he catered to the fans. He high-fived everybody, uh, you know, and, and he was the guy that the call went out to to take care of the the number one heel of the day. The business has changed so drastically. Like you said, Joe, it's not only blurred. In a lot of cases, baby faces are getting booed. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, the, the, the baby face today will take out a screwdriver and take a guy's eye out. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, the baby face put a guy in a hammerlock into a grapevine or whatever. So uh, it, it's clearly 150, 180 degrees from what it was. But still, if the promotion makes it clear enough who the baby face is, who you're supposed to cheer for, sometimes the fans get it, sometimes they don't give a shit. So... I think that's kind of where we're at. One other thing, just thinking back and looking back at the old school days of the AWA as a young fan, one of the things that maybe not helped me, but that I noticed was when the guys came out to the ring, the baby faces would have all of the kids handing them the program to get their autograph. Right. And the heels did not. That was, when's the last time you saw fans getting autographed from the talent when, when they're yeah. in the ring? That doesn't happen anymore. No, it, it definitely does not happen anymore. You know, as we're talking about it, you know, the evolution, Joe, if you think back to Greg Gagne and Ronnie Garvin at one of the uh, pay-per-views, I believe it was out of Chicago, and Ronnie Garvin, who was allegedly the heel, was getting the cheers, and Greg got booed to the point where he actually, in his after-match promo, took a shot at the Chicago fans. So, you know, it, it goes back a ways in the AWA as well. But again, as you said, it was blurred, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're, we're here to talk about who the baby faces were back in the day that really fit the role, according to our, our listeners and our viewers. Mm-hmm. And I, I do want to say with this that when we asked for feedback, we didn't ask for any particular order but as they came in, Mick, I think that they got a sign point. You saw patterns kind of, you saw patterns develop. And I think that's where you came and put the, put this list together based on how you were getting it, even though you didn't really ask for any particular order. Absolutely. Great point, Chris. Yeah. I, uh, I kind of left it open. Just give me 10 names. Mm-hmm. But as you said, a pattern kept coming in. Uh, where a guy would show up on almost everybody's list. So then I started uh, assigning kind of a point system, you know, to where they were, number 10, number one, whatever. So this list is is pretty damn close to uh, a 1 through 10 or a, or a 10 through 1 as we're going to do it today. It's a good thing you have 10 fingers to be able to count that high, Mick. 10 fingers, 2 nipples. <laughs> a dirty dozen. 
That's right. Yours are Bert and Ernie, mine are Stan and Ollie. So it's uh, <laughs> another fine mess you've gotten us into, Mick. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Well, let's get to uh, let's get to the the first the first baby face. But here is what I envision you guys on on like a, a Saturday night back in the day. Is that to, I mean is is that Joe and Mick after bars close? Is that that's that's pretty accurate, right? That's well, accurate. What what that is? It, this was a precursor, and you know we'll get to the list, you know, a little bit later on. But um, that was a precursor to Joe Chupik's nipples. If you look in that picture, Red Bastine is actually trying to elevate the nipples of Larry Hennig, and Larry is having none of it. So Chupik, in fact, is not the first guy to do that. So we are not going to give him any more kudos. It had been done in the past. You know, and and uh, that, that's it. Now you can see. I don't know if Larry's hating it or enjoying it. Okay, so clearly, Mick, so you, you're you're a play-by-play guy, Mick. So take me through the call, call this spot in a match. Uh, call the spot. Okay. Call the Red spot. Red Bastien, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what in the world he's doing here. Apparently, he has grabbed the protruding nipples of Larry the Axe Hennig, and he's trying to insert them into Larry's nostrils which, of course, would in turn block Larry's airways, his air passages, and allow Red to get the victory. I disagree, Mick. I mean, it's clear. Take a look at that. He's just grooming him. Larry, is, his chest hair is overgrown, and he's just trying to clean it up a little bit. So I don't know what you're seeing, but I see something totally different. Well, you're just trying to keep that title of nipple guy. So, you know, we'll... we'll, we'll <laughs> I never <laughs> wanted it in the first place. That's fine. There's a 24-7 title. And there's a nipple guy title. In, 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 oh, nipple guy. So can we move on to the, uh, to the yes, no, 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 we can. Uh, we need a T-shirt that said, I'm a nipple guy. Okay. Yeah. Let's uh, let's go to uh, to number one, or number 10, rather. Uh, all kidding aside. Uh, this is a, a, a big time. I don't know that I've ever seen him as anything other than a, a baby face. And that is our friend, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. Jumpin' Jim Brunzel epitomized babyface, especially here in the Twin Cities, our home base, uh, coming from White Bear Lake and, of course, one half of the high flyers. Jim was was, – it's kind of interesting. If a heel got on Jim's case, Jim showed a lot of fire. But for the most part, Jim was the same guy on screen that he is off screen. Very quiet, very soft-spoken, very likable guy – and, uh, and Jumpin' Jimmy, you know, along with Greg Gagne, they had that tremendous run as the high flyers. It's, it's, it's very curious. Jim was the high flyer that made the top ten. Uh, the other one did not, although there were some votes. So uh, very interesting. But Jimmy, absolutely, uh, all-American babyface to the core. Yeah, two things uh, come to mind with Jim. First of all, his genetics were, are incredible because the guy still looks phenomenal and he's in his early 70s. I, uh, I remember running into him about 10 years ago and looking at him and it's like, shit, you could get in the ring right now and do it. Yeah. His comment was to me, well, the brain wants to, but the body doesn't want to. Um, the other thing, you know, and it was sort of with the, the heels that we're talking about last week, Tough for me to even think of Jim Brunzel as a singles wrestler 
And I would have put Greg with him and it would have been the high flyers within my top 10 list of AWA baby faces. But hey, the fans voted. Jim is deserving of it. Uh, incredible drop kick. Just, I mean, oh. God, did he get up there. If I'm not, didn't he um, uh, set like a, a, a state high school high jump record at White Bear Lake or something yeah, along those lines? Yep. And his drop kick was explosive, and people talk about it today. Go back on uh, YouTube if you're not yeah. familiar with Jumping Jim, and you watch some of those high impact drop kicks. And and a great friend of ours, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You you look. You can't have a name like Jumping Jim if you don't have the ability to get up and execute there, a drop kick. There you go. Yep. All right. Let's uh, let's go to the next one here, guys. This was actually a a tie. Uh, we have a couple of them. There's uh, good old Red Bastine, and talk about uh, talk about Red first, and then we've got someone who was on our list last week, and uh, we'll get to him here in a minute. Red Bastine actually was from the Minneapolis area, and of course later on he was billed uh, from you know different locations. Uh, Red started out as a kind of a, a junior heavyweight, a light heavyweight, was never real bulky in his career, uh, and he started in the late 40s. And, of course, he was in and out of the Twin Cities area during the 1950s, 1960s, and then, of course, in the 70s. Uh, Red was part of a tag team with the Crusher. They held the AWA World Tag Team Championship after uh, uh, Red's tag team partner, Hercules Cortez was unfortunately killed in an automobile accident coming back from Winnipeg in July of 1971. Uh, Red shows the Crusher as his tag team partner. From a technical standpoint, from a scientific standpoint, they did not make them any better than Red Bastine. And, uh, you know, in the ring, he was so smooth and so believable. One of the original high flyers, if you will. And Red was such a nice guy that the Cauliflower Alley Club uh, has maintained a Red Bastine Friendship Award, uh, which kind of honors those who have been loyal to CAC and do their part for the wrestling business above and beyond. And just a class act. And, uh, yeah, absolutely top ten. Great baby face here in the Twin Cities. Also teamed with the, the late Billy Red Lions uh, to form the Red Hats Tag Team, feuded with the Bashans incessantly in the AWA. I remember when that car accident uh, happened. Uh, I was at the matches. I I can't remember. I was six years old. But if it was at the uh, St. Paul Auditorium or whatever and just being heartbroken about uh, uh, hearing that Hercules Cortez had passed away. But, hey, who better than to throw in the crusher? My all-time favorite, personal favorite, in with Red Bastine. Um, but this is about Red, and uh, he was gone well before I had started with the AWA in 85. Uh, but I did have the fortune of meeting him at Kenny J's annual uh, histiocytosis. Um, you know, Red was another one of the wrestlers who came there and did it for Kenny, uh, did it for Kenny's grandson, and and enjoyed attending it was the the mini awa reunion but i did have the pleasure and the honor of meeting red and mick everything that you said about him from my limited exposure to him and from every account that i have heard in the industry red bastine was just an outstanding human being 
And what's interesting about that, Chris, as well, is that Red was kind of an old school guy in terms of his era. And yet he garnered enough votes from the old school fans mm-hmm. to, be, you know, to crack our top 10. And that says a lot about his legacy. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I think that's a, a great point. Our next one is also a tie for number nine. Again, these are ones that they didn't ask for an order, but as Mick was tabulating everything, he saw the patterns. So this was a tie with Red for our top uh, top ten baby faces, good guys. Somebody that was on the list last week here, guys, and that's uh, Dr. X. Dr. X. Uh, came to the AWA, and of course, Dr. X, Dick Beyer, the intelligent, sensational destroyer, came to the AWA in 1967. Uh, he was a heel for 90% of that tenure. Uh, then he started feuding with uh, the Larry Hennings, Lars Andersons, Black Jack Lanza, Bobby Heenans of the world, and uh, left the AWA in 1970, came back a couple of years later as a full-fledged babyface. Now, of course, his identity as Dick Byer was never mentioned when he came back. Uh, it was like the unmasking, you know, back in 1970, October of 70 had never taken place. Uh, but this time there was not that caveat of I will unmask if I'm pinned or submitted in the middle of the ring. This was just straight ahead battling the heels. And Dr. X, legendary in the AWA, one of the greatest, probably the greatest masked wrestler that ever, ever appeared in the business. And sadly, we, you know, we lost him a couple of years back as well. But uh, great guy and Joe, another one that showed up continuously at Kenny J's benefits. And we you know, brought it up in the last episode about how he maintained kayfabe yeah. uh, with the Dr. X character, uh, whether it was Cauliflower Alley or Kenny J's histiocytosis. I'm, I'm just curious if he... Uh, when he went to the local grocery store or local Target, if he wore his mask to go there, um, I, I wouldn't Probably be. Probably have been a good idea. I, I I don't know if that would have played out. No, well. hey, to a supermarket's okay as long as it's not to a bank. Back in those days, good point. You know, but, but yeah. still, no. Uh, Doctor X, uh, tremendous talent, tremendous talent. Uh, similar to Red Bastine, I never had the honor of working with him, but what a guy. Well, I mean, just he was he wasn't Dick Byers. He was mm-hmm. Dr. X. He even was, even after he got rid of even after he got rid of the mask, you still yeah. look at him as, as Dr. X. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, 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 yeah, I've, I've never understood, guys, when somebody gets rid of the mask and then they put the mask back on. Do you feel like that loses part of its allure, like the mystique, because you actually know who this person is or is it easy for you guys to go back and look at this person without having a mask um or with having a mask rather with with me you know he was always dr x or always the destroyer or whatever as far as the mystique being lost a little bit yeah i could see that um super destroyer mark three neil guay would actually take off a mask or be demasked in a six-man tag, go back to the locker room area, and come back out to do a run-in at the end of the night with the mask back on. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, hold it. Suspension of disbelief. I know wrestling fans sometimes don't have a great you know, memory for you know names and dates. Either do we. That's been pointed out. But... <laughs> 
15 minutes later to come back out from the locker room with your mask back on. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of stretching it a little bit. I could see it if he didn't get demasked, went back to the locker room. It was a heel in the mask, came back 15 minutes later unmasked and came back as a baby face. That'd be an interesting twist. But no, what you said, it's like, yeah, wrestling fans are a little bit smarter than that. Yeah. Let's uh, go to the next one here, guys. And, and it's somebody that I, I feel is one of the favorites of, it doesn't really matter what the era is. We saw his dad last week on the heels, but current uh, heading. Isn't that interesting that Kurt Hennig, who was the AWA champion as a heel, Mm -hmm. uh, aligned himself with Larry Zbysko, turned on Greg Gagne, yada, yada, yada. And, of course, his Mr. Perfect run in the WWE. But he was so good at what he did, both as a babyface and as a heel. Uh, he's one of the most popular guys that we always get letters about or emails or what have you here on the podcast. Uh, Kurt Hennig has a legacy Second to none in the 80s into the 90s. There weren't too many that were better than Kurt. And it showed this guy, in my tally, he was the eighth most popular guy, you know, in our in our poll. And uh, just love Kurt. What a river. I liked him a lot better as a heel than I did as a babyface. I thought he was okay, uh, even teaming with his dad, Larry Hennig, as a face. But uh, as a heel, as a wrestling personality, they didn't make him any better than Kurt Hennig. I agree, but I'm going to, you know, <laughs> Kurt Hennig, in my opinion, does not deserve to be in the top 10 heel list. Um, going back to last week, if you remember the, the heels gimmick talk that we were talking, Mick, and I brought up Bruiser Brody, mm -hmm. and you said, well, he wasn't in the AWA for that long. Brody was a heel in the AWA longer than Kurt Henning was a babyface or about the same amount of time. Mm. True. You know, and, and Kurt as Mr. Perfect, Kurt as the AWA uh, heavyweight champion in that whole run, the roll of dimes at Super Clash 2 in San Francisco, loved all of that. But prior to that, he was just another talented wrestler, I don't think he ever got over as a baby face during his AWA, early AWA run. So this one mystifies me a little bit. I, I think, yeah, because we didn't really set parameters, you know, and, and it's, it's all, it's all subjective, but how, much, how much of Kurt Hedig being a, a baby face is just attributed to the fact that he's Larry Hedig's son. Well, and not only that, you know, and, and good point there, Chris, but, uh, remember, he had that run with Scott Hall, too. And, you know, his run with Scott Hall definitely was a baby. I think that's where Kurt really started to blossom is when he was teamed up with Scott Hall. And then, of course, with his dad, Larry, uh, after that. Uh, prior to that, like Joe said, you know, Kurt was just kind of a, a milquetoast baby face. But, you know, when we say to the fans, give us, you know, who do you think were the 10 greatest baby faces of all time in the AWA? If we don't give them parameters, which, you know, maybe we will next time, uh, I think it just speaks to the overall popularity of Kurt Hennig. 
Fair yeah, enough. And, and I, well, I do agree though, not having parameters on people. I, I feel like because I don't want to limit it to the, you know, last 10 middle take, you know, early part. It's like, I love allowing people to have whatever they feel because it's all subjective and that's wrestling. I've heard this many times. It's like a buffet. There's something for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a, and you know, the thing is there's some guys, if they would have gotten a lot of votes, but they were clearly heels and always heels and yeah. never baby face, then I'm going to say, Hey, wait a minute. You know, th- this is, we can't put this guy on a top 10 baby face list. I think Kurt Hennig, on the other hand, kind of crossed that line a little bit. Yep. Let's go to someone that I, I know is a friend of both of yours or uh, was a, a friend of yours. We just saw him last year at the reunion, just lost him oh. not too long ago. And uh, the fantastic, always capable Sodbuster Kenny J. I was ecstatic to see how many people voted for Kenny J as one of the top baby faces because he was uh, in and out of the ring. And I've said this so many times and I know people might be getting tired of hearing it. Kenny J was a hall of fame human being and the greatest AWA enhancement talent of all time. He got his shine in a couple of main events and big time programs on television. But when you talk about a beloved Babyface, not just a guy that the fans, hey, Kenny J. They loved Kenny J. And uh, no no better description, I don't think, Joe, than Babyface Sodbuster Kenny J. Yeah, I don't ever recall him being anything but a Babyface throughout his entire run in the AWA. Now, granted, there was, he, he in a squash match, as, yeah. you know, the, he, he may have gone against uh, a baby face like a Vern Gagne, but he still didn't. I, I don't recall him doing any heel moves. I mean, it there was just anything, nothing over the top. Yeah, I, well, I mean, you get in a heat of competition, you you know, you push the limits a little bit. But no, Kenny was uh, a genuine baby face. He was a genuine jobber. He was a genuine human being. And I will admit, I am surprised to see him in the top 10 list at number seven, but I like it. Sweet. Let's go to the next one here, guys. Uh, Let me bring this one right up. And again, somebody else that was on last week's uh, top 10 heels. That's uh, George. (laughs) Apparently, he goes by the, uh, the name George Clooney, if I'm not mistaken. He does. He does. He that, okay. Okay. He, you know, and occasionally he goes by the by the name. Well, no, no. He's actually distanced himself from the name Brad Pitt. He would uh, wear a, a tag, a name tag, on at the Cauliflower Alley that said "Not Brad Pitt," just so people, <laughs> you know, knew the difference. But uh, Jim Rashke, Baron von Rashke, um, we've talked about how how bland he was when he got started in professional wrestling, and Vern Gagne trained him out of the University of Nebraska. Jim will be the first one to admit his personality did not register on any Richter scale. Um, When he turned heel, one of the most notorious heels, not only in AWA history, but wrestling history in general, and then he grew on the fans, and boy, did he ever. Uh, How can this hated 
goose-stepping German get voted in by the University of Minnesota as a proxy student council president or, you know, student body president or whatever it was. Uh, beloved to this day, when he makes appearances, he is swarmed by wrestling fans. And to be honest with you, I thought the Baron was going to be even higher on this poll as a baby face than he was. But, man, he did it all. Well, I recall a, uh, a promo that Jesse did. And he goes, he looks like E.T. Which, in that picture that we had posted up there, yeah, yeah. You know, Baron, you could have probably starred in a couple of horror films uh, back in the day. There was that guy from uh, The Hills Have Eyes. Um, yeah. uh, he could be a twin of the guy from uh, The Hills Have Eyes. But, uh, no, uh, Baron, I mean, wow. I, I mean, what more can we say about Baron Von Roschke? Uh, definitely deserves to be on this list. His, his one-man uh, stage show, the documentary that his son Carl had done, Do Yourself a Favor, if you've not seen them. Um, and, and as far as the documentary, even though Karch is in it, it's still worth seeing. But Baron Von Roschke. Wow. Wow. You guys. Hey, hang on a minute. Oh, cats, give me some Kleenex or something. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Oh. Go ahead. Talk about my nipples, and it's a free-for-all. But anyway, no, Baron, top 10 without question. As far as being higher up, while well, you get into the other names on this list, and I, get it. I think he is right about in there. But think about all of the baby faces that we've gone through in the AWA. Mm -hmm. We could have a top 25 and still have people that should have been included. But that aside, Baron, you are number six. Mm -hmm. And that is all you need to know. Well done. We're going to go to number five again. Is This is a show that was voted on by you, the listeners, the fans, the viewers. You sent in your top ten baby faces, your top ten good guys, fan favorites, however you want to say it. And Mick allocated a point system to everything, and, and this is what you guys – have decided on. We are now, I believe, going to crack the top five. Yes, we are. And number five, uh, maybe one of the... We talked about the controversial moment a couple of weeks ago, but no denying the popularity of the Hulkster. You can't deny it for a minute. And if you have a, a top ten babyface poll for the AWA and you don't include Hulk Hogan, then you're you're you've got a bias and you're not being honest with yourself because for that period of time in the early 1980s, selling out the St. Paul civic center every single week, there was nobody like Hulk Hogan and his, his major AWA babyface run was, was relatively short. Uh, he didn't have the longevity as some of the other people on the list. Um, he has his detractors. There's no question about it. One thing I think this showed is our demographic still, you know, we, we, we're kind of crossing that line a little bit. We've got some mm -hmm. old school on this list, and we've got Hulk Hogan, which I really like. I, I think maybe our our demographic, our scope is expanding a little bit here. Mm -hmm. uh, but Hulk Hogan is Hulk Hogan, pure and simple. He was uh, magic at the box office, the greatest box office attraction uh, of all time, certainly in the AWA. Um you know, 
He had a, a skill set of maybe five or six moves, but that's what not it was not all about. It was about putting asses in the seats and getting over, and you can't argue. Well, when he did get his push, he was the incredible Hulk Hogan, yeah. but I think there might have been a little mm-hmm. trademark and copyright infringement there, so of course. they went back <laughs> to Hulk Hogan, but obviously i mean if you if he's not in the top 10 list of awa baby faces yeah. you don't know the awa i have said for years that hulk hogan transformed professional wrestling no doubt yes. um, to me that was the beginning of well not the beginning to me that was the line between old school was pre hogan and what we have today, he was the start of what we see today. He was larger than life. Uh, throw in the uh, Rocky Three movie as Thunderbolts. Yeah. Um, throw in his promos eventually, because as we've said, he had luscious Johnny Valiant as his mouthpiece. And you take a look at the early promos of, uh, of Hulk Hogan. Eh, you know, he, he gave Brad Rangans a run for his money. But Hulk Hogan, yeah, I mean, my goodness, number five on the list. He could have easily been number one, but more than deserving of being number 10. And let's run wild and let's yeah. go to number four. And I was just going to say, we can thank Gary Derusha for part of Hulk Hogan's popularity, can't we? Because didn't he say that, that he was part of that conversation where they came up with the gimmick or the moniker Hulkamania. Hulkamania is running wild. I will never, that to me is probably one of the highlights because Hulkamania, of this podcast so far, because Hulkamania was such a big part of wrestling. And to, to hear Gary tell that story, to be in on it, just sitting in a car, just coming up with it, to me is just, it's so fascinating and interesting. It's weird how this, business works and that i mean even being an outsider like i am it's just really it's just funny how everything just kind of ties together absolutely unfortunately gary won't get any residuals which is the nah, real that all this deal. yeah i mean he he wouldn't probably even acknowledge us if he had royalties from hulkamania <laughs> let's uh let's go to uh another one here and, and i know people love billy robinson billy robinson from a technical standpoint uh, from a shooter standpoint, one of the greatest of all time. When they when they yes. talk about the guys that could stretch you like a bungee cord, uh, Billy Robinson is up there, Danny Hodge, Luthez, even Vern Gagne. Uh, but Billy Robinson, when he came to the AWA and started his feuds with Kobayashi and Black Jack Lanza, and then, of course, his matches with Nick Bockwinkel, I've said it, the most believable, stiffest, most hard-hitting matches uh, in AWA history, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, You know, in his later years, Billy turned a little nasty, turned heel. Uh, He aligned himself actually in some areas with Lord Alfred Hayes as the uh, heel Englishman. Uh, There's no denying Billy Robinson's capability in the ring. What I mentioned last week, and and Joe and Chris, I I know you will recall this, some of the guys that were baby faces in the ring did not necessarily carry that that personality with them to the outside of the ring. 
Uh, I didn't have a lot of interaction with Billy outside of the, uh, you know, outside of the wrestling. Um, but I know people who have even guys in the business and he could be a little arrogant. Billy knew how damn good he was. He was a shooter. He was the real deal. And he wasn't always the easiest guy to get along with in terms of, you know, his legacy in the AWA, his popularity. Here it is. You're seeing him in the top 10 and there's no denying it. There's no denying that Billy Robinson was one of the greatest baby faces in AWA history. As a young fan, when he first came, he had a style of wrestling um, what's tough for me to say that I'd never seen because I was like five or six years old, but it fascinated me, the moves and the holds that he could do. And being a Vern Gagne fan at the time as well, I was really torn because everybody wanted to see Billy Robinson against Vern Gagne and, and what would happen and, and, and all, <clears throat> excuse me, and all of this. Um, but it was in the movie, The Wrestler. I believe that was released in 73, 74, somewhere in that time frame, early 70s, we'll say, for those that want to or need to be specific. But when that movie came out, I could not wait to see it, A, as an AWA fan, but B, to just see, even though it was up on the big screen and it wasn't a real match, to see Vern Gagne and Billy Robinson uh, go at it, uh, I couldn't wait. And then I saw the finish and was disappointed as hell. But no, Billy Robinson, yeah, another guy. He deserves to be in there. And what you said about his out-of-the-ring um, personality, yeah, uh, I, I've heard the same stories that he he had a bit of an edge to him and um, wasn't exactly a locker room favorite. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned Billy and Vern Gagne because they did have a series of matches around the horn, and uh, Vern was the subtle heel in those matches. Uh, you know, it was getting on in Vern's career a little bit still in the 70s. He had some legs left, but Billy Robinson was kind of getting the, the, the crowd behind him uh, in his matches with Vern Gagne. But... I don't recall if Billy and, and Vern never never wrestled at the Civic Center or in the Twin Cities because that was Vern's territory. Vern didn't want somebody else to have be a bigger babyface than him, if I remember. Well, what, what was interesting about that good point, Joe, one thing I would say to that is Vern, in his early career, was legendary in Chicago. And, uh, I mean, he was over massively. Uh, working the shows there, and it was in Chicago, actually, that Vern and Billy collided and where Vern now was kind of the the subtle heel. Uh, but Vern did that with babyface competition. Vern would get, get disqualified for tossing the babyface opponent over the top rope. So it wasn't only Billy Robinson where he was the mm -hmm. subtle heel. It was, it was Bill Watts, Edouard Carpentier, uh, but that's the way it played out. But Billy Robinson, again, what can you say? Do you feel like Vern, well, you know, when, when, well, I'm just going to ask the question now. Do you feel like Vern in that situation felt like he was better suited to be the, the heel or the bad guy in those matches? Or do you feel, do you think that he actually enjoyed being the bad guy in those? Because I, 
the impression I get was that he wanted to be the good guy. He wanted to be the 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 number one fan favorite wherever he was at. Or maybe I'm misunderstanding that. No, I don't think he wanted to be the bad guy or enjoyed being the bad guy. It you know it's like with as I said with Greg Gagne and Ronnie Garvin. It just happened. The fans. The, cr- the crowd it. decided it. You you the crowd listen, decided it. Listen to the crowd. Yeah. Listen to the crowd. Perfect. Uh, but Vern also saw that there was money if there was a rematch. You know, if he could, if Billy Robinson's on the verge of victory and Vern, to save his title, throws Billy Robinson over the top rope and and then mm-hmm. becomes the subtle heel, you got you got a rematch. You got yeah. money. You know, Billy will get it next time. So Vern was a very very smart businessman. So I don't know that it bothered him all that much in the in the scheme of things. Bothered him no, but there was at no point <clears throat> knowing. Knowing Vern as well as I think I did, I don't think there was ever a time that Vern considered being a heel. It just yeah. Vern. Vern Gagne was a baby face from the get-go, the all-American kid. Uh, I, 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 it would shock me and amaze me if Vern Gagne ever would have been a heel in the ring. I, I don't see it. Don't see it at all. Okay. Well, as for the top three, let's just say this individual was on last week, and you could say he made a pretty good heel, but made I'll say uh, a lovable babyface too. Who let man, this dog out? The man is smiling. He's got to be a baby. I think that's a smile. I'm, I'm not real sure. It could be a sneer. <laughs> but Mad Dog Vashon. Uh, we talked about Mad Dog's early career here in the AWA, and I won't even say it was an early career because he came here in 64 and he was still working as a heel for the next 15 years. So it wasn't exactly like he had, uh, you know, a flash in the pan heel career. So you've got a guy who bit, clawed, slapped, gouged, took it outside the ring, hit a guy with a chair, hit him with the bell. Um and, and this was your eventual baby face because now there's always another guy that you hate more. Wrestling <laughs> w- was cyclical that way where, you know, Jerry Blackwell, all of a sudden the fans hated Jerry's guts. Who do they bring in? Mad Dog Vashon to take care of Jerry Blackwell. Big John Studd, another guy. You bring in the dog. Uh, you know, dog wound up teaming with guys like Vern Gagne, the crusher uh, in his, in his later days. Uh, So the dog is kind of like Baron Von Raschke. I think in that sense, he grew on everybody. Joe, you've said it. He never changed his style. He didn't have to. Uh, Mad dog was never going to put you in a drop toe hold into a chin lock and, you know, do chain wrestling with you. Uh, He was going to split you wide open on the ring post. Uh, But again, Talk about a guy whose outside the ring personality belied what he was in the ring, pussycat Vashon. Uh, but in the history of the business, and Chris, you've talked about, you know, where he was building that that casket the for Fat Box. That's right. Uh, nobody, nobody was getting over as a babyface more than Mad Dog Vashon. When he would go after the eyes of Jerry Blackwell or rip at his nose, the roof. Blew off the St. Paul Civic Center. Well, going back to the photo that you had put up earlier with Mad Dog smiling, or was it a sneer? 
I think he had just been told that he was finally going to get Jerry Fatwell in a lights out a Nigerian death match. That's a, that's a happy mad dog getting ready to go against Blackwell. No, Maurice, but, oh, I mean, what, what can you say about him? One of the all-time greatest characters, both yeah. inside and outside the ring. Even though he was pussycat Vashon outside of the ring, he was still a character. In regards to that, the most discussed interview that when somebody finds out that I uh, worked for the AWA, Mad Dog comes up and they talk about the interview where he's building the casket. And I respect them. It's no, it's a pine box. Uh, Take, do yourself a favor. If you've never seen the Mad Dog Vashon pine box interview done by Mean Gene Okerlund, do it. Take a look at an old school classic interview. And at the very end of it, as Mad Dog is sitting there pounding on the pine box, just take a look at all of the shit flying <laughs> off of the shelves. Of a saw. I mean, it is legendary. And I believe Mean Gene's line at the end of it is, um, he, may, he may be an apprentice carpenter, yes. but he's a seasoned ring veteran. The death match, Mad Dog Vashon and Jerry Blackwell, and Mad Dog is sitting there. Mm-hmm. Enough of I, I can't do yeah, it. Go it on YouTube yeah. and see it. It is my number one all time favorite AWA promo. It, it might be one of my favorite promos of all time. Oh, it so, was tremendous, tremendous, yeah. and you know, and again, Mad Dog unaware of the TV cameras and the microphones and the boom mics and. <laughs> lights and everything else, you know, Gene startled him when he came up. Uh, <laughs> was so intent on building that casket that he didn't see the truck, didn't see any of it. Um, well, you know, when, you, when you've made a vow to eliminate a guy from the world, as Mad Dog did with Jerry Blackwell, the world was not big enough for the both of them, so Blackwell had to go. To boot, Blackwell had to go. Um one thing, God love him, uh, just as an aside, I was interviewing Mad Dog one time, and he was being very complimentary to me in the interview, and he finished it up by saying, there's only one thing wrong with you, you breathe. <laughs> you know, and that was, it's kind of how that one, you know, wound up. But uh, God, gotta love Mad Dog Rashawn. I think the nails and the boards are still flying around. I wonder if he didn't use some of Vern's, uh, you know, lumber, from Vern's camp, like George did, to build the to build his uh, his cabin, you know. You were talking about how how uh, how Mad Dog couldn't have seen the equipment and everything. Mm-hmm. If you look at the interview on the right side, you will see a cable hanging down with a little switch. It was a light <laughs> that they got in the shot, but there was so much chaos and so much. In there, if I and I believe it was shot at Carol 11 or it was WTCN back at the time. I believe it was shot at WTCN oh. Studios, either that or Channel 9, uh, it back in the prop room. But just, I mean, my goodness, we, we could probably do an entire episode on that. I just wish we could actually play that interview because yeah. it is legendary. Oh, well, man, you know, I mean, yeah. 
Go ahead. Gene must have had a GPS back then because remember Mad Dog said, how did you find me? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. We got a couple more here, don't we, Chris? Yes, yes we do. I'm kind of surprised here, guys. We've got two more baby faces left. I don't think the names are going to surprise people, but maybe... I'm a little shocked at the order of these two. Uh, number two is Vern Gagne. I, I figured he would be number one, but he came in as number two. It's very interesting. And, and I think a lot of this might have to do with the demographic too, uh, because we do, you know, we've got our fans out there that are more new school or they came in towards the end of the AWA run as you did, Chris. And, since that time on the internet, there's been so much negativity about Vern in terms of, you know, him not hanging on to the AWA and the collapse and everything else that people lose sight of the fact that in his day, like Joe said earlier, yeah. Vern Gagne was a freaking legend, not only in Minnesota, but particularly in Minnesota, but all over the country. Uh, great amateur wrestler, alternate on the Olympic team. Uh, a Minnesota legend. He hung literally with kings and queens and presidents and senators. And for a long time, Vern was the guy. You started to get into the 1970s a little bit where Vern had already been here for a long time. And you got this new breed, Billy Robinson, Edouard Carpentier, what have you, uh, challenging for his title. Now the luster started to wear off just a little bit. Uh, But I agree with you. These two uh, number one and number two could have easily been flipped. And I, the point can be made, as you said, uh, for Vern being number one. Now, Mick, you said it. Um, well, one of the things that you said that uh, has bothers me, and I've defended Vern about this uh, for four years. Um, Vern Gagne deserves his mantle, his pedestal, his place atop or near the top of a Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling history for what he did. Um, I believe when uh, it was, uh, I think it was 1949. Again, if I'm off by a year or so, whatever, we're reminiscing. So put away the the exacto uh, bullshit razor blade stuff. But um he was as big a star as there was in the country yes. when he was on the Dumont network. Um, he was a part of uh, the first wrestling show on television. In fact, professional wrestling as a side note helped to push the sales of television. It was that popular. And I, I the part that I'm trying to remember is that Vern, I think Greg told me at one point or I had read someplace that Vern was like the first professional athlete to earn $100,000 in a year. This is back in the 1950s, a professional Mm -hmm. wrestler earning that much money. Vern was that over, and he continued to be for the next 20-some years. Um, As far as, you know, going back to the Billy Robinson thing and Billy getting more of a pop than Vern, I think like anything, you know, people... I don't want to know. I don't want to say that they got bored, 
But Billy was the latest shiny object. Yes. He was the new toy everybody wanted to play exactly. with. Exactly. They it's not that they disliked Vern. Mm-hmm. It's just that they wanted to see something different and yeah. see something new in Billy Robinson. Um, but as far as Vern being the, Vern wasn't the reason the AWA went under. I mean, I, I don't. We could do an entire episode about how you know the the specifics and and all of that. But um, in fact, maybe you guys did before I came on board. I that I don't know. But Vern Gagne, um, I, my God, uh, he 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 had called me. Uh, like, like he, he called me his fourth child. He, he called me like a son. He raised me from a pup uh, with the AWA. It broke my heart at the end when uh, uh, we sold the AWA to Vince McMahon or the, to, to the WWE. And during that time, uh, his, dementia was setting in. Yeah. And having gone through that with my own dad years later, it's just such a horrible disease. And to see that, to see what it took away from Vern Gagne, um, I, what was tough to see, but I will say this, anytime, any place, Vern Gagne walked into a room and that room lit up. He had a charisma unlike any other I've ever seen in my nearly 58 years of life. And Vern Gagne, only because I agree with who number one is, Vern Gagne, in my opinion, should and is number two. I feel like I missed out on seeing the height of, well, I know that I missed out. And what I can see on old videos and, you know, tapes or whatever. I don't feel like I really get the, the full feeling of what it was like to have Vern Gagne be, you know, kind of the axis of professional sports in the twin cities because of the notoriety. And I do feel like there's a lot of us that we hear about the end of the AWA. We hear about the property we hear about the, the dementia and I feel like the maybe it's it's just my opinion here, guys, but I feel like Vern Gagne is maybe cast in a negative light unfairly based on the fact that so many of us really did not experience the the height of Vern Gagne's popularity firsthand. Maybe maybe I'm wrong on that. You're not wrong at all. And and I will say this as you know, the elder statesman here, unfortunately, Um Vern in the 1950s, like Joe said, on the Dumont Network, was it was a national star. Early 19 before 1961. Let me say that in in 1960 and 61, wrestling was drawing so well here. Wrestling was a big deal, even in the newspapers. And then all of a sudden, you get the Minnesota Twins and the Minnesota Vikings coming in. Yeah, 1961. Yes, one. Now all of a sudden, wrestling is kind of shifting its locale on the sports pages. Uh, Vern was so good. I think what happened, Chris and Joe, in the 70s, if you look at the record, Vern was not doing a lot of wrestling, even in the 1970s, in the early 70s. He had maybe, he had the schedule of a Brock Lesnar 
uh, back in the day. You know, maybe once a month he would defend the title. So he was starting to slow down a little bit. Then you get Nick coming into town, you know, Bockwinkle, and saying, you know, where's Vern Gagne? Why isn't he defending the championship? So there was some truth to that. Uh, I have said this before, and I'll say it again. The first match I went to live as a kid, I got up to the ringside, and I got Vern Gagne's autograph. My dad said, give the autograph pad to Vern. Come on, I wasn't even paying attention. I was thrilled beyond belief. Fast forward, you know, 27 years later, and I joke about the stuff that happened at the showboat, but I'll tell you what, and I know, Joe, you feel this way. I will forever be indebted to and honored by the fact that I worked for one of the greatest wrestlers in the history of this sport, period. You, you said it all right there, Mick. I, I am honored that I worked for him. Um, I, I'm honored that uh, I got to be friends with him. Um Honored to be a part of his AWA legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Vern Vern could be uh, when it came to business. Vern Vern could be a prick, but who you you you've got this million multi million dollar company and dealing with all of these personalities. I, dare I say, sometimes you got to be a prick. Um, you know, the degrees may differ, but. As a person, as a human being, as a professional wrestler, and hell, even as a promoter. I mean, Vern was known as being one of the best payers in the industry back in his day. That's why a lot of the guys love to come up here. Um, So, yeah, hey, none of us are perfect. Uh, You know, I'm sure there's somebody that, that can say bad things about each and every one of us. You try to do the best that you can. That's what Vern did. And in my opinion, he did that well. And that got him number two on this list because you, the fans, remember and realize it. Despite all of the bullshit about, hey, Vern did this. He body slammed a guy and killed him. Yeah, he had dementia. Shut up about it. Vern Gagne, the promoter, Vern Gagne, the wrestler, deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling history. And number one here, guys, well said about Vern. I'm, I'm glad that we are able to, to give him his shine because he definitely deserves maybe more than what he gets, and that's saying something. Number one, I'm uh, looking for that, if I can... I don't know. Can you guys see it? Nope. Come on, you turkey neck bum. I know. I well, you just you just gave My it away. I wonder must have taken the picture. Where 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 where's the picture? I'm working on it, guy. It was here. Seven million dollars a year. I thought he was getting that a month before. Before, if we have the picture, if we do, we do, we don't, we know. But this is Chupik's favorite guy. Oh, God. And, hold, on, uh, hold on. I'm getting Guys, guys come on, man. Give me a, give me a little bit of cr- Well, we're trying on. to kill time. We're just trying to kill time. <laughs> well, I know, but you didn't have to throw me under the bus. I mean, my God. Oh, it's not under the bus. It's just, hey, we're, we're creating an angle here. My nipples well, needed pic- to have a heel. <laughs> the, pic- the picture won't load. What's wrong with the picture? Couldn't tell I mean, you. picture won't load. Picture won't load. Do I have to well, ladies and gentlemen, 
the wrestler that made Milwaukee famous, the Crusher. So good I up like until now. Up envision in your head uh, the picture <laughs> of the Crusher. Um, number one, the most beloved baby face of all time. And, you know, Chupik, you know, with that, with that Polish lineage, I know you love Crusher. And again, ladies and gentlemen, in his early career, one of the most notorious bad guys there was, whether he was Reggie Lasowski team yeah. teaming up with Stan Hollick as the Lasowski brothers or Stan Nielsen, or when he came to the AWA as the crusher in 1962, uh, he had a heel run like no other. Fast forward to late 1964, Crusher had taken a hiatus from the wrestling business. His dad had passed away. He kind of took a step back. Uh, in his stead, his cousin, allegedly, Dick the Bruiser, walked out on the heel tag team of Larry Hennig and Harley Race in a six-man tag team match. Hennig and Race were furious about it. They wanted to get Bruiser and a partner. And Bruiser put out the call to Milwaukee. I don't know which saloon he got a hold of him, but Crusher answered the call, came back to the AWA as a full-fledged babyface in January of 1965, and 20-plus years later, he was still the go-to guy. He was still, even though he could barely move in the ring after a while, couldn't even take a body slam. But when he came to the eight, there it is. Look, the, the man is a genius, ladies and gentlemen. That's why he is the head honcho here. That's Crusher. That could be Wanda. That looks a little bit uh, too thin to be Wanda. But that is Crusher and one of his dollies. Thank you, Chris. You, you're, you're a genius. You're a man among men. Um, Crusher, without a question of a doubt, the greatest baby face in the history of wrestling, the man who threw dog food at Mad Dog Vashon, the man who threw carrots and tomatoes at Killer Kowalski, who was a vegetarian, the man who coined the phrase Dolly Sisters, the man who came out with the jack-in-the-box with Pop Goes the Weasel, the man who led the fans around ringside in a tribute to the Minnesota Twins when they won the American League pennant in 1965. Legendary to a fault, ladies and gentlemen, in my estimation, you nailed it. And this was by a pretty big margin, too, I want to tell you. I like to think that uh, I'm in pretty good company there with agreeing with all of these fans because the Crusher has been my favorite since I can remember. There's no denying that being of Polish lineage, both of us being of Polish lineage, that that didn't have something to do with it. But he was, he was that blue-collar guy from South Milwaukee that, now, granted, when he was wrestling, I couldn't even get into a bar. In fact, I barely knew what a beer was. But I did know that his promos were unbelievable. From, uh, you know, Wanda losing weight. She got down to 250 pounds, and so yeah. he had to find a new girl. Um, from from uh, doing his training regimen where he had to increase his out, uh, input of potatoes and kielbasa and beer. Um, 
He's going to carry a keg of beer on his shoulder to climb, to go up and down the hill. He's going to go fishing on Lake Minnetinki, and he's going to go look for dollies that are wearing their bikininis. I mean, th- he was a genius. The, the pop goes the weasel. Jerry Fatwell, he came out there with a blown-up Miss Piggy doll. His cigars. I mean, too bad we don't have another hour. Actually, probably good for you because I can continue to rant and rave about how much I absolutely loved The Crusher. Do yourself a favor, much like the Mad Dog Vashon Pine Box promo. Do yourself a favor and look up The Crusher. Mm-hmm. Uh, look it up on YouTube. One of the pay-per-views that I had done uh, was about, I think it was about a five to six minute uh, highlight package Excellent. of The Crusher doing things. In fact, it's on my YouTube channel my personal YouTube channel, not monetized. So I'm not making money. I'm just sharing work that I have done. But that was one of my favorite edits to do because I got to sit there and look through all of these old promos of the crusher. Uh, There was an extended one that he did with Roger Kent and he's talking about Johnny cash and how uh, being at the bar and being there at bar clothes, it's funny. Everybody gets sentimental at the bar close. I mean, just his, his, his I, I'm at a loss because he yeah. was just that fucking good, period. Remember Crusher's tip for fishermen. This is how you catch a fish. You're on the boat in the middle of Lake Metatiki. You hold a beer bottle over the water. You lean over the boat. Hold the beer bottle. When the fish jumps up to get the beer, you take a hammer, you hit the fish over the head, and you bring them into the boat. There's a fishing tip that I don't think that Ron Shera ever came up with. <laughs> but the but Crusher did. And, 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 Chris, I know that you're very interested in something that's been going on the past few years over there in Milwaukee that they do every year now, Crusher Fest. I mean, we have been asked, guys, we have been asked if we would be willing to do our show from Crusher Fest. I've had numerous people ask me, are you guys planning to go to Crusher Fest? I would love to I would go too. to Crusher Fest. The man who made Milwaukee famous. I would absolutely love if we could take the show on the road and honor who people say, fans say, is the number one babyface in the history of the promotion. Well, I think it would be great. That's what, the first weekend in June, I believe? Yes, yeah. Hmm. I know this, I know this year, I can, let's, uh, let's see if we can make that happen. I, I would be all for it, and uh, God bless him. God bless yep. the crusher. And uh, he, was, he was every man. And yep. uh, Fans, you got it right. You nailed yes, it. yes, they did. Let's oh, uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up here, guys. Uh, Mick, before we get to the shout outs, I know that you want to pay a special tribute to somebody that we lost recently. You know, back in the uh, in the Ropers and Fridley Georges and Fridley days when the the PWA Eddie Sharkey's promotion was red hot, and then going on into the nineties. There was a referee about five foot four and all of about a buck 20. And his name was Mike Diamond. And his real name was Mike Warkle. And uh, Mike Diamond 
got into the ring with the the big guys, the six foot seven guys, the monsters, the whatever. And he was he had a cult following of his own, did Mike? And outside of the ring, very funny guy, soft spoken, what have you. Uh, we had an opportunity to uh, reunite with Mike at the uh, AWA reunion last October. And unfortunately, we got word that Mike has passed away, uh, one of the old guard, and uh, brings back so many memories of those glory days of SNR and, and Ropers and Georges and the PWA. God bless you, Mike. Uh, Godspeed. Safe travels. Ten bells. All right, let's uh, get to our shout-outs here, guys, and then uh, we'll go ahead and bring it home. Uh, Mick, why don't you go ahead and kick it off? Brian Gardner. Brian is such a loyal, such a great guy. I uh, see him at all the local indie shows, uh, MAW in particular. Great old-school fan, love getting his messages on Facebook and Messenger and email. Loves the business, loves what we do, and we love you back, Brian Gardner. And my shout-out this week, this past uh, weekend, I was at a family gathering, and one of my uh, nieces, her husband, told me that he actually listens to the show, and so I apologized to him first. <laughs> but then I, I was like, hey, this is perfect. I get to give somebody a, a shout-out from my own family. So Kevin Walsh, Kevin, thank you for listening and being a fan of AWA Unleashed. And sorry for these two knuckleheads, but you know, hey. I'm glad you said actually, you you make it sound like we have people that are like, oh, I just, I say that I listen, but you're like, he actually listens. Yeah. That just proves that nepotism alive and well here on the program. I asked him, I asked him, is his life that boring that he listens to us? And uh, he comes, well, hey, what, am I going to be serious? I mean, come on, Mick. But he hey, comes come back on. with, he actually said he enjoyed the show. We are a fucking shot of adrenaline every week. I'm telling you that. <laughs> That's right. We are. That's right. Yes. Right. Well, well, I am going to, I'm going to shout out. just perked up. I know. You can cut glass with those things right now, Joe. <laughs> I am going to give a shout out to somebody that I am not related to. Uh, unlike I am not all about the nepotism like uh, Joe is. And I'm going to go to Golden Era Pro Wrestling at Golden Era Pro 83 on Twitter. Uh, they've had uh, some really good comments to us on uh, Twitter. And, you know, again, just interact, have some fun. Life's too short to be all pissy and cranky about things. And that's what I love about uh, some of the people that follow us on Twitter. They enjoy it. They get it. And uh, we're having fun. So, uh, that being said, guys, we're just about ready to wrap it up. Thank Soda Sticks. Thank, thank uh, 7th Avenue Pizza. Next week, guys, we've got a fun little topic that kind of ties into what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. Indeed we do. And one of, the, in my estimation, greatest heel to baby face turn in the history of the AWA. And we're going we're gonna to kind of pick it apart a little bit. And the impact. <laughs> Taboot. Taboo. My goodness. I don't know if that's the cat's tail or if it's a missile. You know what? I don't even, I don't even want to know. I, yeah, I don't even want to know where that came from. Somebody's very excited about the Jerry Blackwell turn. Yeah, I would say so. You know, by the way, you know, and that's going to be next week. We're going to talk about that. By the way, my cat went on high spots, ordered a championship belt. 
Uh, and next week is going to be proclaiming the itself as the neighborhood cat wrestling champion and performing 20 in front of 20 cats in an alley. Uh, so, you know, certainly it has as much credibility as any other championship in wrestling.